Thanks for choosing a 3CR podcast. Throughout June 2021, we're running our annual Radiothon when we ask you, the listener, to make a donation so that we can continue to make great radio. Your donation will help keep us community-owned and community-controlled. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash donate. And with that done, please enjoy your podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for Defence of Government Schools have been here since 1987 and in, oh, at least for 20, 30 years, we have been here at 12 o'clock every Saturday and we're here again today. And we've got a very interesting program for you because up in New South Wales, people are wanting to take political action again. I say again because the dogs in New South Wales back in 1965 took political action and we stood candidates uh, for, first of all, the federal and also the state governments. And we got more votes than the, in those days, the old DLP, which was the state aid fraction and uh, that had come out of the Labor Party. So what goes around comes around. It's almost as if History is repeating itself. It may not be, but it certainly rhymes. So we're going to talk about that in our press release 910, and Oliver and Jeff will tell you what's happening up there in New South Wales. Sol is going to tell us about JobKeeper payments which were made to an extremist cult school. Very interesting material indeed. And Dale's going to tell us about uh, the $1 billion school funding shortfall for public education. Uh, Maddie is going to tell us about what's again happening up in New South Wales where the teachers are going on strike and there have been walkouts in schools across New South Wales. And uh, we'll also try and give you some information about the coronavirus advice and information for teachers in our public schools. Maddie has got a very interesting great state school for us today. So keep listening because this school won or was one of uh, the schools which won great innovative schools in, in 2020. It's been put on the map for many years now. It has an extraordinary principle and although the majority of its students are what you would call disadvantaged students. It is doing extraordinary things. So it's a pretty full program. Let's get on with it. Press release 910. Let's find out about a new fairer education party established in New South Wales politics. Over to you, Oliver. Thank you, Jen. New South Wales public education supporters have had enough. They are taking political matters into their own hands. It's been tried before, and it's to be hoped that they succeed, but they need better leaders than Morrison and Paratek. This is what Chris Bonner has to say. Further information can be found on their website at www.fairereducationnsw.org.au. It's party time again, this time for fairer education. Over the last decade or two, public educators have flirted with the idea putting up candidates for election. The idea faded during the post-Gonski decade. Maybe we believe that Gonski and the politicians might deliver. Well, given that everyone now believes in equity, other things might change. But the Gonski process didn't deliver, and equity remains little more than a belief. In the meantime, a minority party in the New South Wales Legislative Council is pushing education policy in very regressive directions. They know that, armed as they are with the balance of power, they can strongly influence the direction of policy. It's hardly new. There is no shortage of those elected to keep the bastards honest, hence to turn bastardry itself into an art form. 
So what should be done? Years ago, in a former life, I would spend endless hours sitting across the table from those who were made or implemented from those who made or implemented policy. On our side of the table would be school principals who were exceptional operators and formidable advocates for public, public education. We were very well armed with policy proposals developed by those who not only ran schools, but devoted endless time to creating better policy. It was some time before I realized that we lacked two things. The first was a large crowd of advocates in Farrah Place, loud enough for their message to reach the teeny years amongst those on the other side of the table. The second was well-placed power brokers who could push and twist arms up Macquarie Street, or better still, actually be elected to twist arms and push buttons. Back to you, Jean. Yes, well, uh, let's find out more about this new party. And uh, Dev's going to tell us about it. Thanks, Jean. It's, um, it's, Chris Bonner goes on to say, it is well beyond time to get into the fray and get some people committed to restoring the public in education, elected into the New South Wales Parliament. In specific terms, for someone to put up an upper house team for the 2023 state election, that's one of the, that's what, that's what Chris Bonner is proposing. That's one of the objectives of, new, of a newly formed political party, Fairer Education New South Wales recently formed by senior experienced educators and community members. In the words on its website, in 2021, Fairer Education New South Wales is launching a campaign to contest seats in the New South Wales Upper House at the 2023 state election. Fairer Education New South Wales intends to become a force for significant advocacy in New South Wales public schools and to promote public education as a first choice for high quality secular and comprehensive education. Their immediate need is to attract at least a thousand members by January next year, so they can establish a registered political party in New South Wales. There is no impediment for anyone to join, providing they are enrolled to vote in New South Wales, are at least 18 years old, have lived at their present address for at least one month, and are not a member of another party. At a pinch, Chris goes on to say, that probably describes the readership of the Save Our Schools website. But the appeal has to go wider. Current New South Wales teachers and staff are free to become members of Fairer Education New South Wales, as the New South Wales Department of Education's Employee Code of Conduct allows employees to freely belong to any political party. Membership of Fairer Education New South Wales is free of charge. What the founders of Fairer Education New South Wales would like is for those interested to check out their website, Fairer Education New South Wales, and share the news with all like-minded people. You can find a lot more on the website, including some of the people involved, policies, membership, etc. I've referred to they when it should be we, as I joined up in late August, this being Chris Bonner. I confess to being a compulsive non-joiner of organisations, but this one is an exception. I've already been a member of this group for much longer than my 10 days, as a member of the Tumut branch of the ALP in 1971. The Fairer Education New South Wales Party seems like the right thing at the right time. Given the tenor of the times, some may say it would be better to support independence rather than a political party, but I feel the advantages of scale and the right branding strongly favours the party idea. I also feel that the candidates selected, whenever that is, will be absolutely committed high profile with excellent networks. Yes, it's currently hard to get oxygen for any issues other than COVID, submarines or global heating, a tick for the last one, but that won't always be the case. The pandemic has raised awareness of the need for better social policy with a collective focus. Fairness in election, in education, should always be a priority. I've just spent the last 18 months co-authoring a book on the post-Gonsky era a period in which so many indicators point to a slow-moving but inexorable disaster in school equity and fairness. The last chapter of the book includes a what-if-we-do-nothing section. At so many levels, doing nothing isn't an option. I know it's been said before, but if not this, then what? And if not now, then when? Chris Bonner is co-author with Tom Greenwell of the provisionally entitled Waiting for Gonski, how Australia failed its schools, forthcoming from New South Wales Publishing, uh, New South Publishing, February 2022. 
He was president of the New South Wales Secondary Principals Council 20, 2001 to 2005. Dogs are reminded of the heady times of 1969 when the dogs was formed in New South Wales by state school parents and teachers federation and the teachers federation. Alan Horton, the head librarian from the University of New South Wales was the first president and Kath Taylor was the secretary. Other prominent members were Stella Bath, Ernie Tucker and Joyce Jones. They stood candidates in several elections and were prepared to take on the sectarians. They were labelled sectarian for their trouble. The dogs equaled and in some cases did better than the DLP vote, but muddying the waters of separation of religion and state, Whitlam's needs policy was supposed to ameliorate that DLP and solve the state aid problem. The, the DLP with prime ministers like Abbott jumped onto the conservative side of politics and the state aid problem has mushroomed from millions into billions of dollars. Time and again, dogs have been proved right. The major education problem in Australia is a group of private institutions who wish to segregate our children by class, creed and colour. They have not, they've used so-called needs policies to rot the system again and again. They are not and never have been interested in fairness. So we found it very interesting that once again, attempts are being made. But the difference here is that this is more um, people trying to get a needs policy, a proper needs policy. The dogs think that that is just not possible while you give even a smidgen of state aid to religious institutions and other institutions that segregate children. Uh, we have to go back to the first principles of separation of religion and the state. And we have to go back to first principles of not giving money to people whose principles and whose objectives in education are contrary to free, compulsory and secular. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back and find out what the sectarians have been up to. Very interesting it is indeed. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. Subscribe to 3CR in 2021. Feed Radical Radio. Subscribe today. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 94198377. Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program. We hope you're still with us because Sol is going to tell us about JobKeeper payments made to a school linked to an extremist cult. Over to you, Sol. Thanks, Jean. So a private school that has been linked to the Plymouth Brethren, Brethren Christian Church, a group once described as an extremist cult by former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd, has received an estimated $9 million in JobKeeper payments. In addition, the One School Global Network, which provides education for the children of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church members from ages of 8 to 18 years, has also received $34 million in federal and state government grants last year, or about $16,000 per student. Former Prime Minister Kevin Rudd has called the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church an extremist cult that breaks up families. Could I interrupt you there? Keep yep. that $16,000 per student in mind for when we come to our great state school. And also think about our great state school from last week, where I think uh, it was only about $10,000 that was per child. Um, mm -hmm. The state school students, in fact, get much less than the $16,000 together with federal, state and their own private funding. $16,000 is way beyond what is actually required for good education for a child. Uh, mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt, but I just oh, think no. very, very, those figures are very interesting indeed. Very important to keep in mind, I agree. 
Um, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church was established in the early 19th century in southern England and is now led by a multi-millionaire Sydney businessman, Bruce D. Hales, who is known by his congregation as the elect vessel or the man of God. It follows a strict doctrine known as separation, under which church members are discouraged on pain of excommunication from eating, drinking, forming friendships, or communicating with outsiders, except to do business with them. They aim to live a life apart from worldly pleasures and associations, refer to themselves as saints and to outsiders as worldlies. However, under another doctrine called spoiling the Egyptians, the church is also assiduous about seeking as much public funding as is legally available. In 2004, Mr. Hales told his global flock, you charge the highest possible price to the worldly people. That's the way to get ahead. I mean, materially, you've got to spoil the Egyptians. It doesn't belong to them anyhow, so we've just got to relieve them of it. The Sydney Morning Herald and The Age have retrieved the accounts of the One School Global Network that operates 31 schools across six states and has 2,413 students. Children under the age of eight attend government schools. In the year to December 31st, 2020, One School Global declared a total of 13.3 million in other revenue, JobKeeper and cash flow boosts. It's estimated almost $9 million of that was stimulus payments such as JobKeeper. A One School Global spokesman said 70% of the school's operation costs were staff wages. The COVID-19 pandemic impacted on the school's revenue base, the spokesman said. The schools were eligible for and complied with all obligations set out by the government in relation to the JobKeeper program. The Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, which was once known as the Exclusive Brethren, has been subject of intense scrutiny and controversy over the past two decades because of its alleged treatment of former members and also accusations that some of its members have been involved in campaigns against political parties, even though its members are not allowed to vote. They grew close to former Prime Minister John Howard and visited him in his office before the 2007 election. While Mr Rudd criticised the group as an extremist cult that breaks up families, some church members who have left the group have also referred to it as a cult. Members of the church have donated to the Liberal Party and some members became involved in an anti-green and anti-gay advertising. When Helen Clark was New Zealand's Prime Minister, she said members of the group ran a smear campaign against her. On its website, the church states it has never made political donations nor instructed any of its 15,000 Australian members to be politically active. The church also has about 50,000 members worldwide. However, New South Wales Liberal Party records seized by an independent commission against corruption show that in December 2010, dozens of members from the church donated individual payments of less than the disclosure threshold, which together made up $67,000. The Liberal Party operatives who accepted the donations labelled the sheet recording the payments as having come from friends. One school was one of 700 private schools that were eligible for the federal government's $89 billion JobKeeper program, which has been controversial. On Monday, the federal treasury disclosed that $27 billion of JobKeeper payments were to recipients that did not experience the requisite 30% decline in turnover. Just think what that $27 billion would do for our public education. Just mm. think about it. And this is a government that tells us that they are good financial managers. $27 billion. Extraordinary. Absolutely. But in that calculation, the Treasury excluded non-for-profits, new businesses, or those too small to submit a quarterly activity statement to the tax office and the subsidiaries of larger businesses. This means the actual payment to businesses that didn't meet the requirements to be eligible for JobKeeper could have been as much as $40 billion. 
According to the Australian Tax Office data, 700 private schools received $750 million in JobKeeper payments. Along the many non-government schools that received stimulus payments, including JobKeeper, were Melbourne's Wesley College, which received $18.2 million, and Sydney's Mariah College, which qualified for $6.8 million. When students graduate from one school global, they can enrol at university, but only through distance education because they are not permitted to attend campuses in person. Many complete certificate level courses in office studies and accountancy at school, then typically go to work in businesses run by members of the church. Businesses run by its members operate in sectors as varied as building, manufacturing and aged care. And according to the church's website, generate a combined turnover of $22 billion. Well, they can the afford to run their own schools. Why do we have to give them a, a cent? Extraordinary. The church is also linked to a charity, the Rapid Relief Team, which has provided assistance in regional areas in recent years to drought-affected farmers and families affected by bushfires. Former Greens leader Bob Brown has accused the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church of having a contrived and cruel religious dogma. The church came to greater public attention during Mr Howard's prime ministership after its members spent 370000 on anti-Greens campaigns at the 2004 election. They also met with then-Greens leader Bob Brown after he unsuccessfully called for an inquiry into the group. In his book, Optimism, Mr. Brown has dedicated a chapter to the church, a group which he wrote had a contrived and cruel religious dogma. He quoted Mr. Hales telling his members, you come in touch with worldly people, you'll have some sense of defilement and you're in control, you're superior, I mean morally. Mr. Brown also wrote of how Mr. Hales advised church members to scorn, disdain and hate the principles of the outside world. In that chapter, Mr. Brown also told of how he had met several former members who reported harrowing stories of excommunication from the church, including from their spouses, children, siblings, parents and grandparents. The church has said it follows up on members who decide to leave the congregation. Well, that's an extraordinary, extraordinary situation, isn't it? Uh, first of all, about the mismanagement of public money by the Morrison government when it can't afford to uh, give enough money to our public schools and uh, how it was quite happy to be um, in cahoots with this kind of a group that apparently called itself Christian that seemed to be um, more on about hate than they are about God mm. and love. But um, I had to pay love on them. I had anyway, a friend, Jean. Um, I had a friend, Jean, who who, who left that uh, church. His family was a member, were, were wow. members of it, and his brothers and sisters would walk down the street, and if he passed them, they wouldn't even look at him. Isn't that true? If he went to their house, his father would say, "Sorry, Mark, you know how we feel. Please leave." That was it. His family cut him off completely. Wow! Oh my gosh. Will he become one of the Egyptians that they had to spoil, I suppose? Yeah. yeah. When yeah. when they use the term spoil, they mean take the money from them. Mm -hmm. yeah, spoiling. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, let's um let's not go too far down that track. It's very, very sad indeed, especially if they even uh, seem to think seem to think that they have anything to do with Christianity. It's not the Christianity I know. But we'll have a bit of a break and we'll come back because uh, we want to talk about the need for not 40 million or even 27 million for our public schools, but 1 billion. Sorry, I mean, not 40 billion or not even 27 billion from the JobKeeper fiasco, but 1 billion. Housing for the Aged Action Group has gone digital to help stop the spread of the coronavirus, but we're still here. If you're over 50 years old and having problems with your housing, we can help. If you're having trouble paying the rent, problems with your retirement village manager or concerned about your caravan park, give us a call on 1300 765 178. We can also help connect you with aged care services and emergency relief if you need it. Stay safe, everyone. Well, good afternoon, listeners. This is the Dogs Program and we hope you're still with us because Dale is going to tell us about the call to fix one billion 
state school funding shortfall. Over to you, Dale. Thank you, Jean. Yes, this is from an article by Anna Prince from the 17th of October. The Victorian Greens are calling on the state and federal governments to make up an almost $1 billion annual shortfall to help state schools in the pandemic. Green's spokesperson for education and member for Paran, Sam Hibbins, has written to federal and state education ministers Alan Tudge and James Molino, urging them to bring schools up to the Gonski Review's recommended funding level, the school Schooling Resource Standard, the SRS, an independent parliamentary budget costing costing commissioned by the Greens showed it would cost six billion dollars over seven years to bring state schools up to full funding. State schools currently receive about 95% of the recommended standard, while the costing showed that Catholic and independent schools receive above theirs by about $90 million each year. It's time for our state and federal governments to revisit their school funding deal that left public schools billions of dollars short and private schools overfunded and Victorian schools some of the lowest funded in the country, Mr Hivens said. He said the money could be used for a range of improvements, including employing more school staff and giving teachers pay rises, providing mental health support programs for students and reducing costs for parents. The state and federal governments signed on to the current funding agreement in 2019 after a protracted battle in which Mr Molino lobbied the then Education Minister Dan Tian to contribute more. At the time, Mr Molino said the deal treated Victorian state schools unfairly. Mr Hibbins said state schools have always deserved the full allocation and after the upheaval of coronavirus, the need is even more urgent. Given the extraordinary two years we've gone through and the pandemic's significant impact on schools, teachers and families, now is the time to revisit this deal and invest more into schools to give them the support they need, he said. But Federal Education Minister Alan Tudge said, I'm certainly not going to be to take advice on school funding from the Victorian Greens. Government schools in Victoria are receiving record funding, he said. Commonwealth funding for all Victorian schools has increased by 83% since we came to government and will increase a further 43% by 2029, with government schools seeing the largest growth. Mr Molino said that he'd asked repeatedly the Commonwealth to do its fair share and fund the final 5% of the schooling resource standard for government schools. It has consistently refused to do so, Mr Molino said. We're delivering an extra $7.2 billion for government schools' teaching and learning programs, grounds, maintenance and utilities, raising Victoria's contribution to the SRS to 75% over the next decade. Since 2014, Victoria has had the largest per-student increase in state government school in Australia, and I continue to urge the Commonwealth to show the same level of commitment to Victorian students. Convener of Public Education Lobby School Group Save Our Schools, Trevor Cobol, said Victoria's shortfall could exceed $1 billion per year, given the current agreement allows the state to include in its SRS contribution spending, which was not originally deemed part of the Gonski standard, such as depreciation, transport and payroll tax. Victorian public schools are the worst funded in Australia, apart from the Northern Territory, Mr Cobalt said. Victorian teachers have been in a prolonged battle with the state government to improve their pay and conditions and will soon begin industrial action. Well, good luck to them. Good luck to them. Uh, it shows you that the state government uh, should perhaps be bringing back all the money that it gives to the private schools and put it into the public schools uh, to make sure that the shortfall, which they're responsible for because they didn't fight for our public schools when they were dealing with the, with the Commonwealth government sufficiently. But um, thank you very much uh, for that, uh, Dale. Uh, let's have a bit of a break and we'll come back 
and we'll find out what's happening in New South Wales where they have the same problem, underfunded schools and not enough teachers that we have down here in Victoria because who would go into teaching under the current um, circumstances that they have to work in? But uh, a little bit of a break and then we will find out about the staffing crisis in New South Wales. Looking for an easy way to keep up with your annual 3CR subscription? You can now set up an annual debit from your bank account or credit card and once a year your payment will be automatically deducted. You can cancel at any time and you'll get a reminder each year before payment. Be a constant supporter of Melbourne's precious independent community radio station and set up a recurring payment today. Just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Well, you're listening to the DOGS program, the Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, and uh, we've been talking about the lack of funding for public education, the effect that it is having. Up in New South Wales, there have been a lot of schools that have gone out on strike because there aren't enough teachers, and Maddie's going to tell you about it. Over to you, yeah. Maddie. Thank you so much, Jean. Yes, staffing crisis sparks walkout at schools across New South Wales. This is from um, October 18, 2021. Teachers Federation members at several schools across the state took action last week, walking off the job over a number of issues, including the impact a statewide shortage of teachers is having on all New South Wales public schools. New South Wales Teachers Federation Deputy President Henry Rajendra said the union's members continue to be fed up with the lack of action and planning that has led to teacher shortages across the state. Quote, the New South Wales government has no plan to recruit the teachers New South Wales needs, end quote. Last week, we saw the New South Wales government respond to warnings that the state could run out of teachers within five years by issuing a glossy brochure that recycles failed initiatives and ignores its own department's advice that uncompetitive wages are turning smart young people off teaching. Teachers have had enough of the hollow promises that the education department will reduce their increasing workloads and address the staffing crisis in our schools. And that was a direct quote from Henry Rajendra. He also said, as it stands today, Classes across the state are being combined, students are provided only minimal supervision and teachers are teaching outside their area of expertise in hundreds of schools across mm. New South Wales due to already existing teacher shortages. Members at the following schools walked out in protest last week. Termumbra Public School, Buniong Public School, Lightning Ridge Central School, Wairala Public School, Finlay High School, Drummond Memorial Public School, Gilgandra High School, Murrumbidgee Regional High School in Griffith, and Blainley High School. Teachers have been waiting 10 years for a comprehensive workforce plan that shows the, how the shortages will be fixed, how many teachers we need, and how the government will end the unacceptable situation where 1,000 permanent positions are vacant and 15% of teachers are teaching outside their area of expertise. Investing in teachers through higher salaries has been shown in national and international research to improve the attraction and retention of teachers and draw into the profession people with higher levels of academic attainment. What is required right now is an urgent increase in teachers' salaries and their preparation time. That it will have real impact on the attractiveness of the profession and the education children receive. Yes, well, this problem isn't peculiar to New South Wales, although, mm. of course, um, they've got a, a Liberal government up there and they've had some one for some time, and now they've got a very strange man as their... Uh, as their head, mm -hmm. um, their premier, uh, Mr. Perrottet, and um, or however you want to pronounce his name. So um, they're prepared to go in to, to fight the battle. But down here in Victoria, 
there will probably almost certainly be a very similar battle that has to be fought because the, uh, the, the union down here are currently talking to the government about teacher salaries. But we'll have a bit of a break. Then we'll come back and uh, we will talk about the advice because people are going back to school and parents and teachers must be wondering just what should they do in the coming weeks for the best. Kafias are Palestinian scarves and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafias, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafia to an array of modern designs, all scarves are just $30 each. Explore the range and order online or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Well, you're listening to the Dogs Program and we're now going to try and give you some coronavirus advice and information uh, for the teachers that came from the AEU website. Um, it's dated the 18th of October 2021, so we would also advise teachers and parents to uh, keep looking at the website for any updating because, as we all know, things have changed and are changing all the time with the um, proposed uh, lockdowns being lifted. But over to you, Jeff and Sol. Uh, thanks, Jean. Um, yeah, this this is titled Coronavirus, Coronavirus Advice and Information for AEU Members, so it's the Australian Education Union. Um, and as Jean said, this is updated on the 18th of October, and so we would encourage you to always seek the latest health advice anyway, um, which will naturally happen, but currently this is it. Um, from the latest school operations guide. Okay, so Victoria's roadmap out of lockdown. Since 70% of over 16s are fully vaccinated, and quickly, by the way, following up of the 12 to uh, 12 to 15s as well, hard on the heels, but since 70% of over 16s are fully vaccinated, Victoria's lockdown will effectively end and all school students will return to on-site learning at least part-time. Once 80% of over 16s are fully vaccinated, early childhood education and care services can open. All children can return to school with additional safety measures in place and on-site adult education will return for fully vaccinated Australians. Over to you, Sorrel. Thanks, Jeff. So for schools, vaccination, the Victorian Chief Health Officer has determined that vaccination will be mandatory for staff who work in schools. This includes principals, teachers, administration and education support staff, including casual relief teachers and pre-service teachers. All staff who work in schools will be required to have a first dose of the COVID-19 vaccine by 18th October 2021 or be able to produce evidence of the vaccination booking within that week. All staff are required to be fully vaccinated by 29th November 2021 unless a medical exemption applies and will be required to show evidence of their vaccination status. Staff can access up to half a day's paid release from duty to attend COVID-19 vaccination appointments. Schools are asked to exercise maximum flexibility in enabling you to make and attend vaccination appointments. Over to you, Jeff. Thank you, Sorrel. Management of COVID-19 cases. To better support schools to manage COVID-19 cases, the Department of Education and Training, DET, and the Department of Health, DH, have revised how COVID-19 cases will be managed in schools. The revised plan has been sent to schools. Leave arrangements. Between 18th of October and 17th of December 2021, end of term four, employees who do not meet the vaccination requirements will not be able to attend work on site and will not be assigned alternative duties. During this period, any such employees will be able to access existing leave entitlements in accordance with the relevant leave policies. From 18th of December 2021 until 27 January 2022, normal school holiday provisions will apply. On 28 January 2022, beginning of Term 1, paid and unpaid leave entitlements will not be available to any employees who do not meet the vaccination requirements. 
and any further absence will be considered in line with the department's absent without leave policy, which may result in a cessation of employment from 28th of April, 2022. Uh, over to you, Sorrel. Thank you. Uh, staged return to on-site learning. Um, you can find the full details in the latest school operations guide or see the reopening roadmap for schools. The Victorian government has announced a SAGE return to on-site learning in Term 4, with all students planned to return on-site by Friday 5th November, subject to final public health advice. From the start of the term until the return of all students on-site, schools will operate both on-site and remote and flexible learning. Metropolitan Melbourne and Restricted Areas. Schools in Metro Melbourne and restricted areas will continue remote and flexible learning in Term 4 with some exceptions outlined below. All schools are to continue providing on-site supervision for vulnerable students and children of authorised workers. From October 6, on-site learning resumes for VCE students, Units 3 and 4 and Final Year VCAL and IB students. From October 18, prep students return three days a week while grades one and two students return two days a week. Restrictions that were to be lifted on Tuesday the 26th of October will now be lifted from Friday the 22nd of October. For schools in metropolitan Melbourne, the arrangements that would have been applied from Tuesday the 26th of October will now apply from Friday the 22nd of October. For primary schools, the only change is that grades five and six will attend on-site on Friday the 22nd of October, in addition to the planned attendance of grades one and two. For secondary schools, year seven and 11 will now attend on-site on Friday the 22nd and Monday the 25th of October, in addition to their planned attendance on-site from Tuesday the 26th of October. Year 10 will also attend on-site on Friday the 22nd of October, in addition to their planned attendance on Thursday the 28th and Friday the 29th of October. Ungraded students with disability in specialist and mainstream schools should return to on-site learning with their year-level equivalent cohort. Over to you, Jeff, for Regional Victoria. Thank you. Uh, it's Regional Victoria. For schools in Regional Victoria, except in local government areas that are in lockdown, this means all year levels will return to full-time on-site learning two days, school days earlier. That is on Friday the 22nd of October, rather than Tuesday the 26th. All regional students, with the exception of restricted areas, to return to school at least part-time within the first two weeks of Term 4, alongside extra measures to protect school communities and detect outbreaks as early as possible. And uh, so they ask you to see the Victorian government's press release. Finally, is VCAL students to continue on-site learning. From Monday the 4th of October, all prep to grade two and final year students will return to the classroom full-time, as they were at the end of Term 3. From Wednesday 6th of October, once final year students have completed their GAT, regional year 11 students will also return to prepare for their final assessments and exams. From Monday 11th of October, a staggered approach will also apply so all students are back in the classroom at least part-time. Years 3 and 4 and 8 and 9 will attend school on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Years 5 and 6 and 10 will attend on Thursdays and Fridays, while Year 7 will also return five days a week. From Friday 22nd of October, all students will be back in the classroom full time. That'll be yesterday. It was last Friday. It was yesterday. Yeah. If any regional LGA is to return to lockdown, all schools in that LGA will return to the Melbourne Metropolitan School roadmap settings. Students living in Metropolitan Melbourne but enrolled in a regional school or vice versa will be able to attend on-site learning with their year level. Staff and final year students required to cross the metropolitan border to attend school must be double vaccinated or must get tested twice weekly. Staff and final year students in this situation must be double vaccinated or undertake twice weekly COVID-19 PCR testings to, to keep our schools safe. See section 12 of the school's operation guide. If you live in regional Victoria and need to travel to, into metropolitan Melbourne or restricted areas for your work, or if you live in a metropolitan Melbourne in, uh, area and restricted work areas and work in a school in regional Victoria, an authorised worker permit is required. All Victorian schools, or well, over to you, Sorrel, I should think. Oh, thank you, Jeff. Yeah, so 
This applies to all Victorian schools. Strong COVID safe measures, including ventilation, vaccination and other measures will be in place to protect school communities and ensure schools can stay open throughout term four. There is more information on safety measures on the Australian government website. Masks are strongly encouraged for students as a way to ensure safety and limit the transmission of in school settings. Masks will remain mandatory for all adults and for students aged 12 and older. Schools have already implemented measures such as staggered pickup and drop-off times, QR code check-ins for any essential visitors, and as much physical distancing as is possible in classrooms. And when students return, they will limit mixing amongst year levels and use, use large spaces like halls and gyms wherever possible. The use of Service Victoria QR codes for electronic record keeping remains mandatory in all schools to enable the effective contact tracing of any COVID-19 cases. OSHC before and after school care is open to children attending school on the relevant day for the year level and other children eligible for on-site supervision and learning. Any variation on the approach outlined above proposed by schools following staff consultation processes consistent with local consultative arrangements must be put in writing and approved by the respective area executive director prior to any communication with their school community. Variations are only required when there is a demonstrated need. Well, that's an excellent summary of, of uh, the principles behind uh, what parents have to know as well uh, for what dates and so on they have to send their children back to school and under what conditions they're expected. There is much more detail on the website and we would highly encourage you to go to the Australian Education Union website and consult with uh, the particulars of the rest of the details uh, in specific circumstances and also to consult, of course, the Department of Health advice and stay abreast of the daily briefings and current advice given by the um, uh, health officer in Victoria. I, I think that they've got a plan. Let's hope it's a good one. I trust the health people um, that they're doing their very, very best to minimise any illnesses amongst our, our children and especially amongst our loving and wonderful teaching staff in, our, in all our schools. Let's wish them all the very best of luck with this new situation. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools. School are of the week. Schools. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. And the great state school for this week is Wurana Park Primary School in Dandenong North. Congratulations. And exactly. They made the Educators' sixth annual innovative schools list in 2020. How cool is that? And this is why. Um, in Australia, it's a school designed to excite and engage, and this is an excerpt from Susie Boss writing in Edutopia. As I was preparing to visit Australia for the first time recently, two educators I admire told me about a public elementary school that I simply must visit. One of these colleagues, a big thinker in school reform, said that this may be his favourite school on the planet. How big is that? A little rev research, a few email exchanges, and a long flight later, I was on my way to Wurana Park Primary School, located just outside Melbourne in the neighbourhood of Daninong North. Here are some field notes and inspirations from a school that lives up to its vision of being a place of optimism, excitement, and challenge. Principal Ray Trotter doesn't seem to mind if school visitors compare him to Walt Disney. Since he arrived at Wurana Park in 1987, he has been transforming learning into an adventure for a diverse multicultural community. The school has become well-known globally for its inspired approaches, but Trotter isn't coasting on success. 
He remains unflagging about getting school right and impatient with practices that undermine the self-confidence of children. We need to change the system, not the child. He takes his work personally. Three of his six grandchildren have been students here. From the outside, Wirana Park, built in 1971, looks boxy and old school. That impression changes as soon as you step inside and see that the original walls and halls have been moved and reconfigured. There's room here for all kinds of learning, individual, collaborative, hands-on, digital. Children and teachers move from space to pace space to space throughout the day, depending on the situation or activity. A few learning spaces have been dramatically reconfigured with immersive environments to fire up the imagination. There's a giant red dragon boat, for instance, that students can guide using Google Earth or the ocean's view of Google Maps. How cool is that? In another area, there's an interactive space station complete with flight simulator. The newest environment outfitted with green screen and digital tools that can be used for seemingly unlimited purposes is known as the Enigma portal. Although these spaces look and sound elaborate, the budget has been modest. Trotter and volunteers from the school community have done much of the work themselves. Trotter credits education futurist David Thornburg as the inspiration for these stimulating learning platforms. The idea to leverage physical spaces to engage children's imagination and immerse them in lifelike situations. If they decide to steer that dragon boat on a voyage to New Zealand, for example, they'll have to chart the best course, respond to the compass readings and real-time weather, and grapple with a host of other challenging questions. When the principal went looking for someone to facilitate learning in this digital playground, a tech-savvy educator named Kieran Nolan stepped up to become the school's e-learning architect. You know, who could resist a looking-for-geek tweet? <laughs> in, his in his teens, Nolan sometimes hacked his own education if school wasn't giving him reason to learn. He now spends his days helping students engage with everything from virtual reality to programming to 3D printing. To extend learning beyond the regular day, he has introduced the weekend Coded Dojo events. Along with the school's transformed spaces and technologies, learning processes have also been reimagined at Wurana Park to foster deep questioning and student autonomy. The school shares its key practices in a series of videos that demonstrate how it approaches small group workshops, personalized learning, differentiated instruction, and other strategies that give children more voice in their own education. To learn more about Wirana Park, she chatted with a group of certified autonomous learners. <laughs> These fifth and sixth graders earned that designation they told me, by submitting an application showing that they were able to take responsibility for their own learning and explaining what they were good at. Once approved, they added, we get more freedom to work independently. And what an incentive that is to really understand yourself and want to do something and the school is there to support you and, and encourage you. I just think that's so beautiful. Fabulous. That harks back to what Michael Lawrence was saying about when he was in Finland and he was talking to the class of history students and he asked the teacher, what period of history are you doing? And the teacher looked at him askance saying, well, all period, whichever one they're interested in is the, mm. is the part of history they're doing. And every single child was engaged because it was something they were interested in. And with that autonomy comes a sense of responsibility and also yes. builds a love of learning. And that's just what you want. If you're engaged and passionate about a subject and your teacher understands that passion, surely they would want to provide that education 
on a somewhat personalised level? Well, what it does is it invites the child to get excited about learning, which then makes some of the subjects that they might not already be passionate about perhaps a little bit more palatable because mm. because they've understood that there are ways of interpreting, there are different ways to learn, and they've been given the opportunity to explore the different ways of learning. So, you know, it does it does it doesn't keep the child to a narrow focus like just mm. what they're interested in. It kind of opens up the rest of the idea of education as well. It's it's just such a beautiful interaction. I'm really really happy for Danny Nong. I'm going to shoot some facts and figures at you. Um, the school has an Ixia value of 981 and obviously the wow. average is 1,000, which it is, it is kind of under, it's it under average and uh, apparently 10% of the parents come from the upper income quartile, which is a small amount actually. 20, uh, 22% from the second quartile, 26% from the third quartile, and 42%, 42% from the most disadvantaged families in Australia. Hence the ICSIA value, the index of socioeconomic advantage. And that's what I mean. Mm. So with very little money, with few resources, these uh, education professionals are managing to create this incredible ex learning experience. It's well, mm -hmm. incredibly well done. Oh, look at this stat. 70%, 70% do not have English as their first language. Wow. Yeah, it's incredible. It really is. Um, congratulations to Wirana Park Primary School Dean Danny Nong North, you are amazing and we love you and congratulations. And this is all we have time for for the dogs program. And we thank you. I think you it all. should be it should be added that all of this is done on thirteen thousand two hundred and seventeen dollars per student, not sixteen thousand. There you go. The, uh, Plymouth Brethren have exactly. Yeah. It's and, done um, on a shoestring. Done on a shoestring. It's a bargain. If you'd like to find out more about the dogs, you can go to our website at www.adogs.info, but I'll pass it back to Jean. Well, it's our time is gone and uh, we've had a we've, we've enjoyed doing the program today. We hope that you have enjoyed being with us in your home, uh, listening to your or wherever you may be listening to your radio. So we look forward to being with you again at 12 noon next Saturday, but it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego up to Maine In every mine and mill Where workers strike and organize It's there you find your hill 
Says he. 